We are at commandment number eight. Now, we said that a superficial look at the commandments six and seven might leave one to the belief that uh, they're not an issue in our life. We haven't broken commandment six, you shall not murder. Commandment eight, you, seven, you shall not commit adultery. But when we looked at that, we saw quite clearly that uh, Christ raises the bar. That if we have anger and bitterness and contempt for other people, we have committed murder in their hearts. And if we look at someone to lust after them, we are guilty of adultery. And we will see as we look at the uh, commandment number eight, you shall not steal. And if you look at the notes that you have today, had to use both sides of the paper. It is a very comprehensive command. Pastor and author Colin Smith in his book on the commandments called The Ten Greatest Struggles in Your Life gives this definition of stealing. The desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. It's about being a taker without being a giver. So it goes way beyond finances, way beyond finances. And I would say that uh, all of us have stolen. If not money, we have stolen in our marriages, we have stolen within our families, in our churches, and in our relationship to God. Kent Hughes says that thievery, thievery is not only the uh, natural to the human condition, it presently rages through modern culture. So the command don't steal is comprehensive. Stealing is a grave sin against God because it is a demonstration of mistrust in God. It's an assault on the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God and on his providential workings within our life. It's a sin against man because man is made in the image of God. And to take something from another person, however we do it in whatever form, is an attack against that image of God in that person. The essence of stealing, the very heart of stealing, the motivation behind stealing is selfishness. And selfishness is diametrically opposed to the teaching of the Christian faith. Christ in contrasting how the world responds and behaves versus how his followers should respond and behave. In Mark 10 says, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. The world wants to rule and control. We are to sacrifice and to serve. Jesus said, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If we are living under the lordship of Christ, we will have an upward and an outward focus, not an inward focus. We will spend very little time thinking about ourselves, making demands on other people to make us happy. In fact, the joyful Christian seldom gives himself or herself a second thought. They're caught up with 
serving others for the glory of God. It would be accurate to say that giving and serving and sacrificing are family traits of those who are true children of God. They are evidence of the work of grace in our hearts. So the authentic follower of Jesus will fight hard to resist selfishness and greed. Kent Hughes says, the modern focus on materialism provides a toxic lure toward the descent into thievery. And contemporary culture is very much into self. And sadly, if we're not careful, we can be into self as well. We could add that modern culture focuses on leisure and on comfort. That's not what the Bible stresses. The Bible stresses sacrifice and service. I've said this many times. I'll repeat it. A Christian may retire from a job, but should never retire from ministry in the kingdom of God, except for ill health, perhaps. There comes a time when you stop earning a paycheck. There should never come a time when you stop serving God. So retirement in the cultural understanding of that word is not a biblical concept. We have wonderful examples in this church of retired people who are very busy. (laughs) Uh, Busy uh, serving in the church, in the community. If something needs to be done around here, we have a banquet, we move all the chairs, we set up tables, and then afterward we have to take everything down. There's food to prepare for a luncheon, tables to be set up, and uh, we all come and enjoy it, but we need to be thinking, how did all this happen? It didn't fall from heaven. There are a lot of people very much involved making, making it happen. What about the scope of stealing? Probably there's not much danger in any of us becoming felons. We're not going to be robbing banks or uh, putting our money in the cash register at work and uh, taking our hands in the cash register at work and taking money. Martin Luther said, though, that if all the thieves who nevertheless do not wish to be considered such were to be hanged on the gallows, the world would soon be desolate. (laughs) So let's look at the scope of stealing. There are common thefts like tax theft, failing to report all of our income, accepting cash under the table so that the government doesn't know about it and we don't pay taxes on it. There is debt theft, not paying off credit cards and, or loans from lending places or family or friends, um, falling way behind on mortgage and rent and utilities. I believe the unwise use of credit cards is one of the primary reasons people find themselves in a financial squeeze. Some of us, and I include myself in the us, have made impulsive purchases With me, it had to be a different car, not a new one, but a different car every three years. I thankfully grew out of that. 
which has saved us a ton of money over the years. And we buy something, flat screen TV set, or even take a vacation, which we really can't afford, but we think we have to do it. And the very simple answer here is be content, be grateful. And if we can afford some of these things, fine and dandy. If we can't, it's really no big deal. There's borrowing theft. I'm thinking now of borrowing items and not returning them. There's welfare theft, which has become an institution. People simply refer to, uh, refuse to take care of the responsibility of paying their own way. So they expect the government, the family, the church to do it for them. And I think the government wastes billions of dollars every year in this area. Now, I'm not speaking of those who are unable to make an adequate living because of illness or injury or loss of a job, and that places themselves in a vulnerable situation financially, maybe a single mother who's husband has walked out in the family. We need to get involved in helping people out, and we don't mind this individually or as a church to, to do that. In fact, there are commands in the Bible to uh, seek justice on behalf of the fatherless and the widow and the stranger, who through no fault of their own cannot take care of themselves. Several of the prophets that spoke about this. I'll just read one, one verse. The Lord says, Do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also, do not mistreat or do violence to a stranger, an orphan, or a widow. There are some people that need our help. And we need to be prepared to help them. Ephesians 4.28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, labor, work, performing with his own hands what is good. Why? Listen to this. So that he will have something to share with the one who has need. First John, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, How does the love of God dwell with him? That's why we have a benevolent fund in the church. And we use that fund from time to time. And right now, the fund is, is depleted and we need to build it up because there are needs that need to be taken care of. But there are some people in our society who just expect that their needs will be met by somebody else. The Bible is quite clear here. If anyone is not willing to work then he should not eat either. Pretty straightforward. There is uh, employee theft. Employee theft. Remember our definition of stealing? Trying to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible? The workplace has plenty of example of employee theft. We give less than our full effort at work. We sort of coast during the day. Working slowly to fill in time. Coming late and leaving early. Stretching lunch and coffee breaks. Stand around visiting. 
when you should be working, phoning in sick when you simply want a day off. That's not only stealing, that's a lie. Using the company credit card for expenses which are personal. I, uh, on my search engine on the computer, I typed in employee theft in Canada. I got 286,000 different sites. I did, didn't look at them all. Honest consumers, like most of us here today, we pay approximately $250 more each a year because the one who's selling the merchandise has to add this to his price, recover his losses. Small businesses are hurt the worst. The average dishonest employee steals 10 times more than the average shoplifter. $2,000 versus $200. It is estimated that employee theft counts for 60% of inventory losses. Well, there's not only employee theft, there is management theft. And uh, James talks about this in James chapter 5. Listen carefully. Consider, uh, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted in your garments, have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up, for, uh, up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborer who mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, led a life of wanton pleasure. You have... Fatten your hearts in the day of uh, slaughter. Management theft. Underpaying employees. Abusing employees. Withholding wages. Allowing unsafe working conditions. Using deception to mislead customers about a product. Marketing an inferior product. Price gouging. Both employee and employers, theft often takes the form of fraud. The poster boy for fraud in a modern era is uh, Bernie Madoff, who, took, who built his investors, who trusted him, of $65 billion. But you know, there is investor fraud within the evangelical church. I've said before, one of my favorite programs is American Greed. It's uh, on uh, CNBC, which I don't watch often except when that program is on. And uh, several programs have been about uh, these financial um, gurus who come to evangelical churches with the big sell to make a huge amount of money. And they promise, so you invest $50,000, $100,000, and they promise an exorbitant amount of interest as any thinking person says when the going rate is 3 or 4 or 5% and they offer 20% you say, you know even a dumb preacher 
can figure that one out. There's something uh, sneaky and misleading about this. And so Christians have uh, emptied their savings account to invest. They have used their retirement funds to invest. They have remortgaged their homes to invest. And they have lost everything. Everything is gone. And these charlatans end up in jail. And I'm asking myself, why would a Christian go for that? I have one answer. Greed. They want to get rich fast. And the Bible tells us not to do that. Proverbs 28, 19, and 20. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, who, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessing. He who, has, who hastens to, rich will not, to become rich will not go unpunished. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, trust God. Your security is not in a, win- in a financial windfall. That's not where it is. Trust God. Back in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, there are some familiar verses there. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and uh, verse uh, 15 to 21. But uh, 15 says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even one who has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Whether you live in a $400,000 house or in a one-bedroom apartment, doesn't make a hill of beans to God. Shouldn't matter to us either. And so he talked about this this rich farmer, and I guess at one point in history there were rich farmers. And... uh, He said, I will tear down my barns and build bigger. Nothing wrong with that. But he's not thinking of God at all. No no spiritual component here at all. None. It's all money. I will say to to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for yourselves. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, freedom 55. And God says to him, great idea. Afraid not. You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. Then verse 21, so is the man who lays up treasure for himself, lays up treasure for himself. God says to those of us who do that, you fool, and is not rich toward God. There are subtler thefts, um, plagiarism, which is the unauthorized use or close imitation of language and thoughts of another, and representing those thoughts as your own. You'll notice in, in your notes, I put acknowledgement, and I do this often. If my main source is, usually, is often one author, but when I use five or six authors, I don't usually put that term in, but if it's one author, like Ken Hughes, whose outline I got from his book on the commandments, then I acknowledge that a lot of my thoughts are coming from Kent Hughes, not from Wayne Wicks. I have a friend, haven't seen him in years, but friend, and uh, in fact, I even recommend him to a church. And uh, he didn't last long there, and I'm 
I was really saddened when I heard what happened. He was plagiarizing. He would download sermons from the internet and preach them verbatim, read them. And the board found this out and said, you can't do this. And he said, why not? And he's fired. (laughs) That's plagiarism. Copyright violations, cheating on exams, slander and gossip is a form of stealing. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. When we smear and libel another person through outright lies or half-truths, we rob them of their reputation. It is so easy to drift into negative critical comments about a person who probably isn't present when we get together as family and friends. Gambling is one of the most frequent violations of the commandment, do not steal. Gambling always hurts people 100% of the time because it's based on winners and losers. A whole lot of people have to lose for a few people to win. It preys on the poor and harms those who are least able to afford it. Gambling is contempt for the goodness of God. It replaces work with risks and divine providence with fate or chance. Ligon Duncan says, gambling strokes an inordinate desire for wealth without work. If somebody in this church won $15 million and said, Pastor, we'll pay off the debt on the building, I would say, no, you won't. Not while I'm pastor here, you won't. We will not take one cent of that money. Stealing from God. How do we steal from God? And we've all done this, and this is so, so sad, that we, we disobey his word in some area, therefore we rob God of his glory. And the world is often critical of the church because of Christians, because of our ethics. Christ said, let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We also rob God by refusing to give generously. God speaking through the prophet Malachi declares, Will a man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? And God's reply is brief and to the point. In tithes and offerings. Malachi 3.8 You know what? The key to generous giving is never the amount of money you make. Never. It's the condition of your heart. When grace, when the grace of God has gripped our hearts, we will be givers. When we are content with the basics, we will be givers. There are many verses in the Bible that uh, have impacted me, and I've done a lot of biblical study on money, possessions, and giving for my own sake. And it's made a dramatic difference in our life, a dramatic difference. But two of the verses that have uh, spoken to me the most, and I have them written, whatever Bible I have, I got these two verses there. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So I don't care what my income is, I'm rich. Because I have experienced the grace of God. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which is in the context of giving money, says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, pretty comprehensive, always having all sufficiency in everything, you have an abundance, that's the giving part, for every good deed. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the law of life. Our heart will pursue what we value. When our treasure is earthly, our affections will be temporal and worldly. When our treasure is heavenly, our affections will be drawn to spiritual things. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Albert Moeller says this biblical theology of stewardship is the most revolutionary economic theory of all. It's so radical and so revolutionary that the church hardly seems to understand it, to embrace it, or to live it. And in summarizing how we rob God, Moeller remarks, we rob God the praise due to his name. We rob God the worship that is his proper expectation. We rob God of time and talent that we invest in lesser things. We rob God of possessions and money. We rob God of our priorities and our passions. So see how broad you shall not steal becomes? Stealing has consequences. It can lead to uh, criminal charges. It can destroy our relationships with other people in the family and in the church and in the community. It leads to deception and lies. You are hard-pressed to find a thief who is not also a liar. And stealing damages us ethically and spiritually. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the snare of many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wow. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. Serious stuff. And pierced themselves with many griefs. And Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust, not just sexual lust, but fleshly lust of all kinds, which, what do they do? They wage war against the soul. Stealing obviously hurts others, especially when it takes the form of a slander. Stealing dishonors God and hinders the work of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians that God chose us, he redeemed us, He forgave us and he lavished his grace upon us. Why? For the praise of his glory. 1 Corinthians 6.31, whether a man eat or whatever he does, do all to the glory of God. Stealing also hinders the work of God because when people do not give their time and their treasure and their talent to opportunities of ministry, we all suffer. Well, what about the remedy? Regeneration, regeneration, the saving work of the Holy Spirit that transforms our hearts. From being deceptive to being honest, from being greedy to being generous, from being negative and critical to
to being positive and uplifting, from seeking fulfillment in material things to seeking fulfillment in Christ, from focusing on the kingdom of self to focus on the kingdom of God, from ingratitude to gratitude, from discontent to content. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things passed away. All things have become new. Regeneration. Repentance. Repentance, metanoia in the Greek, means to change your mind. A 180 degree change in the way we think about life in all areas. It is a gradual uh, process to work that out. But repentance will result in a dramatic changes in our whole outlook and values and goals in life. And restitution. Restitution. Remember how Zacchaeus responded after he had met Jesus Christ? He was a tax collector, and by definition, he was dishonest <laughs> in that culture. Um, so Luke's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my possessions I give to the poor, and I, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. The first thing that Zacchaeus recognized needed to change was how he dealt financially with people. That wasn't the last thing. That was the first thing. So we need to resolve to repay if we have been unfair in financial dealings. We have, if we have slandered someone, if we have passed on information which we should not have, we need to ask for forgiveness from that person. So, like the sixth and seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, is comprehensive, and the scope is broad. I want us all to reflect seriously on what I've said Are we guilty of thievery in any way, shape, or form? Are we prepared to place ourselves under the authority of the Word of God and through the grace granted to us by the Holy Spirit begin to change in this area? And the place to start is the cross of Christ. We will not have the capacity or desire to obey this commandment or any of the other commandments unless we acknowledge our sinfulness and our selfishness and come with humble hearts to the cross of Jesus and plead for his grace and mercy. And I guarantee that if we reflect on the cross of Christ day after day after day, it will fill our hearts with the wonder of God's grace It will result in a life of integrity, of contentment, of gratitude, and generosity. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn these things and listen to these things. And God, we all must plead guilty in some area to do with this particular a command. Uh, this is not an area we need to trifle with or be unconcerned with because it is so pervasive in our culture. 
So may we spend time at the cross and ask the Holy Spirit to show us from the Word how we have violated you shall not steal. And then resolve to make it right with your help and by your grace. In Christ's name, amen.